Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom Podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. Benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. This is episode 300. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. This week, our guests are Jeff and Taylor Adams. Jeff and Taylor are a young millennial couple who are based in the Northeast in Boston, Massachusetts, more specifically. They got their start investing in real estate a few years ago by buying a duplex, living in one unit and renting out the other. They've gone on to grow their portfolio with out-of-state investments, investing in both single-family and multifamily properties. I'm excited to talk with them today, share their journey, show how it's a relatable one and how you too can replicate their success. I had a lot of fun talking with Jeff and Taylor about their journey, so let's go ahead and jump right into this week's episode. This week's episode is brought to you by Ayers Acquisitions. Ayers Acquisitions is a real estate investment company that acquires cash-flowing real estate in emerging markets. With a focus on multifamily investments, Ayers Acquisitions seeks value-add opportunities in recession-resistant properties that generate strong returns for our qualified investors. To learn more about our investment strategies and processes, visit www.ayersacquisitions.com. There you can schedule a call with me personally to connect further. So with that, let's jump right into this week's episode. Welcome on the show, Jeff and Taylor Adams. Jeff, Taylor, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Hey. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's so excited to be here. Well, this is probably like, I think maybe the second time that we've had two guests at the same time on the podcast. So I'm sure this will be fun. <laughs> but hey, tell us about who each of you are, your background, and kind of your journey into the real estate investing world. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you go first. All right. <laughs> so my you know training is in software engineering, computer science. So I have a you know full-time job in robotics and doing stuff there. You know, I'm a manager in a company now. But you know, always sort of been like, I don't know if I want to do that nine to five thing for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. So really start like looking at lots of like entrepreneurial stuff, like starting like you know, apps and all that stuff, because I'm in software. And then we, you know, a few years ago started getting more interested in the real estate side of things. Maybe Taylor, I'll let you go first because you have a great flow for the real estate <laughs> side. Yeah, absolutely. So on my end, I actually have always been very into the entrepreneurial spirit. I went to college and I studied entrepreneurship. I got my real estate license, I think my senior year of college, just to have it. I never really used it, but was always really interested in starting my own business. So Jeff and I started a couple businesses over the years. They, you know, didn't work out, but yeah. they were a great <laughs> learning experience, which is like everything like that fail forward, you know? So 
After I graduated from college, I was working in higher education and Jeff and I were living in an apartment just north of Boston. And we decided that we wanted to look for our first home. So instead of looking at a single family house, we decided to look at a two family. I have to say, Jeff had to do a little bit yeah, of there was convincing. Yeah, there was a lot of, I don't know about that. I kind of just want my white picket fence and yep. single yeah, family yeah. house. Yep, that is definitely true. But I came around to it. So we ended up buying a two-family in Malden, Massachusetts. And that was our first foray into real estate. And we realized we really liked it. So we wanted to continue to invest in real estate. And we always thought that we'd continue to do it in the Boston area. But of course, everybody knows it's super expensive around here. So we were like, all right, in 10 years, we'll have saved up enough money to buy the next place around here. And that was just kind of the path that we were on for a little bit until one day, maybe about, I don't know, was it like six months or so into owning our two family, yeah, something like that. that? I read an article about a woman somewhere down south who owned this large multifamily with her husband. And I was like, well, that's great. If you live somewhere, that's cheap. Yeah, um, right. And so it was a little bit of an aha moment where we were kind of like, well, I guess, why can't we do the yeah, same like, thing? Wait a second. There's property managers yeah. and internet and all sorts of I reasons we why we this. can do that. Yeah. So that was really the very beginning of when we were like, okay, we're ready to dive full into real estate. And we found a path that is going to work for us. Yeah, that's awesome. I love your guys' story about, I mean, Jeff, you're obviously a really smart guy. Taylor, you're very motivated, very driven, very smart yourself. So you guys make like an awesome tag team couple. But this inflection point when you guys were going from living in an apartment in Boston to going to buy your very first home, like you said, you could have taken the route to, you know, go and, you know, buy a single family home and, you know, white picket fence life, right? But you made that sacrifice to buy that. You guys call it Two family, I know it is a duplex, right? But yeah. <laughs> uh, you bought that property. Tell us, you know, like why? Why make that sacrifice? You're both, you know, making a great income. You can afford a single family and live a quote unquote normal life, right? But you're going to make a sacrifice and have somebody live on top of you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It was just so crazy for us looking at the numbers. Like, I think that was the original thing. It was like, you know, around here, things, things are crazy expensive and they were going up really fast back then, too. So we'd be like, Okay, so we need to live near Boston. We need to be able to commute into the city. Both of us had jobs in the city back then. And, you know, to do that, we, you know, traffic's crazy around here. So you have to live like just outside the city. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the prices on a single family house in that area, it's like, you're talking about like 600000 for a single family at, at the very least. Very like that's least, like, yeah. you know, you have to like maybe like redo the whole thing. For, and it's probably falling down and it'll be, you know, 600000 or more. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening and then your mortgage the payment is crazy high and you have all this work to do. Providing you just like, content yeah, and we were living in a triplex and yep. it's like Nothing our landlords, you know, they lived here for free when they bought it. Like, yes. professional why don't we just do that? Like we should find a way to live, you know, not for free maybe, the prices were too high, but for a lot cheaper. And we were looking at things and like basically we ended up buying a duplex and we compare it to like our friends who bought single families in similar areas. And we saved like 2000 sometimes like $2,500 a month compared to what they're paying on their mortgage just by renting out the second floor. It's just massive. It's like almost another income. Yeah, it's kind of an unlocking mechanism. Like I feel like house hacking is some people, you know, it's not for everybody. But I feel like it's definitely an unlocking mechanism to help you get to that next level. 
because it's allowing you to save so much more money than you would have been able to save otherwise while also getting a ton of experience. Absolutely. I agree with you. And I think like, you know, when you're in the mid, late 20s, willing to make that sacrifice, right? Like you're not sacrificing a lot, you know, you're just fresh out of college. You can, you know, live next door to a neighbor and take those calls if you have to. Talk about how you guys, you know, actually bought that property. You know, did you save up? Did you do a low down payment? What did that look like? What did the property search look like? Just take us through that whole process. Yeah, we had been starting to look in the spring, which that was, you know, mistake number one. We should have started to look earlier, but we, on Christmas Eve, I think it was, or right around Christmas, we stumbled upon an open house that we really liked and that kicked off the home search a little bit early. Thank okay. goodness. Yeah. Um, because if we had waited till spring, everything would have been way more expensive. Originally, we were looking for a three family because we wanted to pay less, but realized that a two family was probably more reasonable just given what was available around here at the time. Yeah, the stock was kind of low. Yeah but there was still duplexes around. There were. And so we looked at a bunch of different areas. We really didn't narrow it down to one town because it wasn't really possible because the stock was so limited. And we ended up finding our place. It was on the market for... 650. 650. And so it was we were going to do an FHA loan, you know, 3.5% down right, type right. thing. And yeah, it had been on the market for a while. Yeah. It was kind of weird. It's in like a little bit of a weird area, not terribly strange. Sure. It's just like a couple of, you know, it's like it's near like an intersection that has an Econo Lodge and <laughs> like, oh, that's a nice sight to see. Yeah. <laughs> the area, like it was a little bit odd and the price was way too high compared to other things in the area. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like a decent duplex in the area was selling for maybe like six twenty five, and even that was probably a little bit overpriced. Yeah. So we started looking in like at the place and like there was some issues with it. Like we did the inspection on it. And so we, you know, we put in an offer 625, it was accepted. And there was, you know, all sorts of problems with it. And like there's a problem with like the sill plate, which is the piece of wood between your foundation and the studs in your house. And mm-hmm. around this area, there's a lot of water and houses are old, so they rot out. So we needed to replace that and like all yeah. sorts of other stuff. Yeah. We decided to buy it anyway. Yeah, the house was built in 1890, <laughs> just to put a date on it, just because houses in this area are super old. Yeah, um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, when we did the home inspection, apparently our home inspector stuck his hand through <laughs> the wall of our bedroom from the outside. <laughs> yeah, we did have that fixed before we, we before we closed, but yes, you could just put your hand in the house. <laughs> that's not much of a shelter. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> So you guys make this sacrifice. Who had to talk who into it most? Like, hey, let's go ahead and live in this duplex. This is a great idea in the long run. Jeff definitely had to talk me into it. (laughs) I was not convinced for a while. You're the entrepreneur of the group and the real estate agent. So that's a bit surprising. I know, right? It was, (laughs) I think I, uh, you know, I rubbed off on him with my (laughs) entrepreneurial spirit. For me, it was about the numbers. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a numbers guy and yeah. like the math just made so much sense. Like, and once I started talking about that, I was like, yeah, okay, I guess you're right. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, for me and why I was going down, having a struggle with it. And I feel like a lot of people go through this where we were living in our apartment. It was amazing. Like that apartment was awesome. We were in this really awesome area. You could walk yeah. everywhere, <laughs> restaurants, like, oh my gosh, amazing. So I couldn't imagine having to move somewhere where I wouldn't get that experience. Sure. But remember, we were paying $2,200 a month. Exactly. Exactly. 
So once I realized that it would actually propel us forward, if we were able to do this in the short run, then it made a lot more sense. And I was like, okay, fine, we can do this. And then it kind of got fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. You guys want to get into the numbers of this duplex and talk about rents and what your mortgage was and all that good stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll I'll go there. So um, (laughs) the numbers guy. The numbers guy. (laughs) Bought it for 625. We had negotiated down from 650, three and a half percent down. So like, you know, that's actually not a terrible debt payment. Yeah. Ballpark $20,000-ish. Yeah. And a little more, you know, closing costs around here are a little bit higher than some areas. I forget, maybe it was a little over 30 by the time we closed, I think. Okay. Then immediately had to do some stuff to it. So like our, we have a flat roof over one part of our house, started leaking like a month in. Into our bedroom. So great. Lots of stuff. I think in the first year, it was about 25 grand of like renovations, like us doing stuff and hiring stuff out, doing more this year. I think we've been adding it up and it's somewhere in the realm of like 80 grand of renovations that we're going to have to do. A lot of it doing work ourselves. Stuff is just like really expensive around here, paying for labor and, and materials. But so we also, the value of our house went up just in the past two years, probably around 700,000, you know, before maybe, you know, this whole recession that we're about to <laughs> yeah, go into. Sure, sure. <laughs> and with all this added stuff is going to add even more. So what the plan is, what we're actually going to do. And so we've been renting it out. So yeah, there's that whole part of it. We've been saving a lot on mortgage because so first year we rented out the second unit, which is upstairs and has three bedrooms. So pretty big place. Yeah. Renting Before. it out for 2000 a month. And our mortgage was 3600 with taxes and insurance. And then we switched it over to an Airbnb last October. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So did a bunch of work, bought some furniture. You know, I put in hardwoods in one section. We did some of the kitchen area stuff and lots of furniture. All that together was not that much. It was maybe like five grand for the whole yeah. thing that we did up there. Got it on in October expecting like, yeah, this is maybe not a great time of year to get an Airbnb on the market in Boston, like, you know, just as into like rainy season, basically. Right. But we were basically booked out. Yeah. We were booked out from October right up until now. Yep. And getting decent money on it, even in the winter months when we weren't expecting much. And we didn't, haven't done like great calculations on it yet because we wanted to go through a whole year to get the summer months because you get much more money in the summer months. Right. But we were expecting around like twenty three to 2500 a month from doing an Airbnb after okay. you know, we pay utilities and all that stuff. Yeah. So you guys so, were able to really greatly subsidize your living expense by doing this duplex, renting out the other, and then increasing yeah. your cash flow by doing Airbnb style, which was probably kiboshed at this current exact moment, but I'm sure that model <laughs> yeah. hopefully picked back up, right? Yep. Yeah, we'll probably switch to long-term tenants again because it, you know it's not looking good for the next few months yeah. here. But you know, I mean, you look at it, 3,600 a month would have been our mortgage. And even just with a long-term tenant, that was down to 1,600 a month. And so just from our rents from living you know, right near Boston, $2,200 to $1,600, that's a nice difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to live anywhere for $1,600 a month, anywhere around here, it's not a nice place. <laughs> yeah, and looking at only that piece of the equation, that's great, right? Like yeah. you're able to, you know, save more money, you know, decrease your living expenses. But at the same time, you talked about that appreciation piece, which is, yep. as you guys, I understand, you know, that's not your main philosophy in investing, but it's a nice like cherry on top, right? So your property exactly. is appreciated from... 625 to let's call it 700,000 now. So you've got a good chunk of equity built in, allowing you to do creative things in the future. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, we're probably going to actually condoize, which is a big thing around here, make each of our units into a condo and then sell it. So that actually could bump up the value of this place up to around 800,000. So we get an extra 100 grand from doing that. So you decrease your living expenses, make a couple hundred thousand in a couple of years. Sounds like a pretty good deal to make that sacrifice to have. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. You're, like you said, it really hasn't been that much of a no. sacrifice. And we're actually thinking about doing it again. So I guess it really hasn't been that bad. The plan would be to, you know, in a year or so, condoize into two units, sell them each off, and then go buy a triplex in another area where we want to live. And then in that case, most likely live for free. So it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you guys got into this duplex. You thought, hey, this landlording thing is not so bad. We figured it out. We're you know learning as we go. I know you guys have continued to invest. So tell me and us about what you guys are doing now. Yeah. Yeah. So like Taylor was talking about, we started looking at long distance stuff. So about a year, well, so about six months after we bought this place, we decided, all right, we're going to buy properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. Like, you know, we did some research and found that a lot of markets were very similar in like the prices and stuff. So we just decided to settle on one that, you know, and I'm sure going back, we might think of other markets and try different strategies, sure. but that was the one that we chose. Okay. And so we did a bunch of research. We found a property manager and he showed us around. We went down there and toured with him for a weekend. And then a couple months later, we closed on a single family house in Memphis, Tennessee. Yep. Awesome. That's a, probably more of a, like an exciting jump than doing the duplex, right? I mean, the duplex is in your backyard, a bit yeah. familiar. Yeah. Memphis, you're like, had you ever even been there? What's going on there? We're going to yep. buy a house and turn it over to property manager. I'm sure that's more of a gut-wrenching decision than buying that duplex. Oh, yeah. So tell us what's going on through your mind at this phase. Yeah. I mean, basically, we offset all of our fear and anxiety with lots of research. And just made like sure yeah. All the research, like everything, all the numbers were making sense. And I knew what I was talking about and I was calculating things correctly. And, and the numbers are so reasonable. I think that was the thing that really helped to calm our fears. So our single family that we bought down there was, we bought it for 65000 Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So our mortgage is something around four forty five a month. I mean, that's how much we spent on our dog per month when we, you know, when we were both working full time. So we were like, amazing. <laughs> so that helped to dull some of our, our fears that we were having. And once we realized that our property manager could really take on a lot of the things that we weren't sure about or weren't as experienced in, that felt really good. So that's what allowed us to start thinking about the next property and could it be bigger? Yeah. And so then just about... So it was about nine months nine after months that after that we that. finally closed. It took a long time to close. So it was like a five-month closing on yeah. this property. <laughs> uh -huh. We closed on a five-unit property down in Memphis. Yep. So you went from two units to a single-family house in Memphis and then bought another five-unit there. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah. It was exciting because it was our first commercial property. And yes. once we got a taste of the commercial side, we were like, hmm... This is something we want to do more of, which leads us into our current strategy. So we are currently focusing on 12 to 30 unit properties in Manchester, New Hampshire. And it's a little bit closer to home. It's only about an hour away, but I guess it's technically still, you know, at a distance or out of state. Yeah. But it's a lot more familiar to our investors, which they like. So all of our other properties we've self-financed. 
these properties that we're looking for now would be the first properties where we would be bringing in investors to support the cost. So that's been the focus for the last maybe three-ish months. almost six months now. Yeah, three to six months. Yeah. So that's been the focus right up until everything that started to happen with our current pandemic situation. <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll get to that in maybe just a second. And yeah. I want to dig into what you guys are doing in the multifamily space. But sure. backing up really quick to that very first out-of-state investment, that single family you bought in Memphis. At this time, are your friends, family members like Jeff Taylor, have you guys completely lost it? You know, you guys aren't chipping Joanna Gaines, right? Like, what are you doing buying a single family in Memphis of all places? 150%. Um <laughs> So our family and friends thought we were totally crazy. Um, They're like, why Memphis? <laughs> yeah. We have no ties there or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. The question was always like, you know, what made you choose that place? And then with people that we don't know, they would say, are you from Memphis? Do you like have family there? I don't understand. And so we were just like, no, just tons of research. I feel like with Jeff and I, we are always used to people thinking that we're a little bit crazy. So this was nothing like different. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like it. <laughs> we've always been a little bit like, you know, we've started these other companies. We've kind of always done things pretty aggressively. So our family is always basically saying to us like, oh, Jeff and Taylor, there they go again. So they were probably weren't too surprised about what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like it. Yeah. So you buy the single family house and then you decide, obviously, Memphis is a good enough market to continue investing there and you find a five unit. So that's a big jump. Tell us what that property was like. Yeah. Yeah. So that one is pretty interesting. It's a lot more involved than the single family. Like, you know, the single family, it's like, it's a nice little place. It has a carport and it's near, you know, a school and like... There's not much to do to it. You know, we bought it and I think we put like two grand into it right away. Just like, you know, little things that came up like, you know, in, in the inspection report, which, you know, like maybe in some markets, two grand is a lot, but to us from Boston, like that's like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but so then the five unit, much different. It's in like maybe a slightly worse area. Like the first property I might call like a B area, but the five units in like a C area. Sure. And there was some vacancies, like two units were vacant out of the five and another two units had been occupied for like 20 years and were in pretty rough shape. Yeah. Wow. So, the, you know, basically haven't been touched in 20 years. And some of the other ones had been like improved a little bit, but you know, there's some work to do and like the roof needs to be replaced. There's just a lot more to do yeah. with this property. Yeah, absolutely. I think with this property, maybe a couple months or maybe the month before we closed on it, I think we were both were having this moment. And I think this happens before you close on any property where you're kind of like, is this still the right choice? Should we <laughs> yeah. still do this? For sure. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> yes. And it was kind of a weird thing with the five unit too. So we had been, because you know you have to put out a ton of offers in order to get something accepted. So we were putting out a bunch of offers on tons of different properties. And so we actually put in an offer on this property. And then we were leaving to go on a two-week vacation to France. And we got a call from our agent, who's also our property manager. And he was like, hey, listen, the, the offer has been accepted. So they need to send over you know, the pre-approval and all of that stuff. And we were we, getting on a plane in like six hours. Yeah, super soon. And we didn't have, we didn't have a, a, an approval because it's a commercial loan. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. 
it was a Friday afternoon. So we sat and we were calling just a bunch of commercial lenders. And we were I like, think we called like 15. Yeah, lenders. we were like, who will give us a loan? Someone give us a loan. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, I don't know, we somehow figured out how to get something. We just got like Wells Fargo to say like, sure, we'll do something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we went ahead and got that, got on the plane. And then we had to do the whole process while we were... Yeah, and stuff like we were like in France, like <laughs> yeah. on the phone with people trying to figure this out. Yeah, we had, mind you, we had like rented a car. We were like driving through the countryside of France, so we're just like trying to find a way to talk to everybody about what's going on. So it was like everything else that happens to us. It was just crazy town and so much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking back at it, I'm sure you can say it's fun. But yeah. you know, as you're on the phone <laughs> with your property manager in the hillside of France, like, <laughs> what are we getting ourselves into? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so you guys are obviously doing some unique things, some things that you know not the average person is doing. What's motivating you to do all this? Like, what's your reasons why? What's driving you? Because you know, you guys are doing a lot, making a lot of sacrifices, making a lot of investments, continuing to do that. It's not just because at this point you wanted your mortgage to be lower because you've got that, right? And you're still doing it. So what's driving you guys? Yeah, I think the big thing is our big why is really that we just want to spend more time together. The ultimate goal is to work together. I know a lot of maybe couples don't want to spend all of their time together. We do, or at least I like to pretend <laughs> that we but we do. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really our family. So you know, we don't have kids yet, but we want to be there for every game. We want to be there for every recital, every activity. And, you know, in this life, you only get one opportunity to be with the people that you've chosen to be with. So why not do that instead of spending, you know, 40 hours every week with people that maybe you just really don't like? I would much rather spend that with my husband. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We just enjoy starting businesses and yeah. building things up and processes and management. That's all fun to us. Yeah, it is. It's a ton of fun. I completely understand what you guys are saying and I totally agree. But I think lately I've been thinking of a different perspective that I see out there. And it's like younger people like us, right? Let's millennials who don't necessarily want to make the sacrifices you guys are making right now because of kind of the same reasons, right? They want to enjoy life and they don't want the responsibility, right? So they're going to kind of live life now rather than defer for the future, right? And it's kind of the same mindset, but the actions are way different behind what you guys are doing and what that other type of person would be doing. So yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting observation there. I think that's a really good point because there, I mean, there's no one right way to do it for sure. And I think that our generation in particular is really about experiences. I know that's a very big thing about, you know, who we are and how we're categorized is we would rather do things than have things. And I think you're totally right. I think there's multiple ways to do it. And the way that we want to do it is we want to have even more time for experiences. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like if we spend the time now, then like five years isn't that long. Five years down the road, we can be in a place where we're financially independent and making, you know, doing this kind of stuff full time. That's our plan, you know, even before five years. And that's, you know, I mean, Taylor's pregnant and, you know, we're going to have kids and Five years from now, that's going to be the funnest time to be with our family. Like those little kids, like you can never get those moments back. Like that's what we want to experience. That's where our priorities are. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And and congrats on that, Taylor. I wasn't going to spill the beans, but now that it's out there, yeah, I'm (laughs) I'm, I'm very excited for you guys. And that's that's really great. 
Yeah, but that's a, you know, it's kind of what it's all about is why we invest in real estate, right? It's kind of have that time freedom, that freedom to just do the things you want, when you want, where you want, what's who you want kind of thing, right? And yeah. if you don't create that freedom for yourself, somebody's always going to kind of dictate your day and dictate your time. So 100%. Yeah. So what are you guys doing now? You're continuing to scale. You're going to start doing things back in more of the Northeast region of the US. Tell us about what's going on there and why. Yeah. So a lot of it, we identified this Manchester market in you know, New Hampshire as a good place for us in terms of like the size of the units and where like our friends and family are actually interested in the people that we've met. Mm-hmm. So we're actually going to start helping other people to get invested as we get invested. Mm-hmm. So doing a thing that I know you're very familiar with, Jacob, the syndication stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So getting into these buildings that are bigger, have more people in them that, you know, distributes the risk a little bit, right? Like, I mean, a single family house, we lose a tenant in our single family house like we did a few months ago, we had to evict. We just didn't get any rent from that. 100% vacancy, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. But, you know, if we have a 30 unit property and five people are have to be evicted, like you still have a lot of people making money for that property. You're probably still cash flow positive. Yeah. So that, yeah that's a very, very different situation. Not to mention just the economies of scale, right? Like, you know, yeah. you have to fly down and, you know, do a closing in Memphis, right? For one unit or for a five unit. Whereas, you know, you can go up to, is it Manchester? Yeah. yeah. Go up to Manchester and, you know, close on one property that gets you 30 doors and, you know, manage one property manager that's managing 30 doors and so on and so on. So you get those economies of scale, further increasing that time freedom we talked about, right? So, yeah, absolutely. It's exactly. all about opportunity cost. Exactly. Tell us what the market's like there and why you guys chose that. I know you both are very data-driven and numbers-driven. So what's that market like and why'd you settle back on going to the Northeast? Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty cool market, actually. So I'm from New Hampshire. It's not, you know, as we said, it's like an hour from here. And, you know, you can look at things like population growth. It has population growth over time. It's not like, you know, some of these cities in Texas or Georgia or something that have just been exploding. Sure. But it's been slow growth, you know, past 20 years just keeps going up, which means, you know, that's a great thing for your tenant base. Like as more people come in, you're going to be able to keep renting to people. There's also like this housing crisis in New Hampshire yes. where there's the vacancy rate in New Hampshire is 1%. So like, yeah. you know, if you have a hundred units, only one of them is going to be vacant at any given time on average. Yeah. That's which crazy is a low. Pretty good yeah, thing. It's pretty good. <laughs> The other cool thing about New Hampshire is, and Manchester specifically, it's actually still considered a suburb of Boston. It's in the mm-hmm. greater Boston area. Like so there's Boston actually, MSA, if you will. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. so it's like, you actually, a lot of these jobs in Boston, people are living way up in New Hampshire and commuting yes. down for them. Yep. Mm-hmm. So these high tech, white collar, high paying jobs, people are living in New Hampshire for cheaper. You know, it's a little cheaper up there because it's farther away, but still have lots of money, great yeah. income. So you get a, a actually pretty decent tenant base. And the other thing that's interesting about Manchester is we're seeing because it's so expensive closer to the city and even, you know, not pretty far outside the city, a lot of companies are choosing to move their companies to Manchester because it's just cheaper for them. So we see a lot of high tech moving into that area which is just going to increase the need for apartments and also increase the amount of people who are looking for apartments from those companies that are moving in. Yeah. And those white collar jobs moving in, 
they're great for other jobs, service yeah. jobs related to those white collar jobs. Yeah. I forget what the what the statistic is. It's like for every white collar job it creates. Yeah, it's like X blue collar jobs. Yeah, I yeah, I'm but, sure. Yeah, it's a great thing to have those types of jobs around. Yeah. What I think you guys are doing very unique and very right here is really following the numbers and being very kind of data driven in your approach, studying demographic and economic trends that led you to Memphis, right? And then has now led you back up to a bit of a more familiar region in Manchester, but you're still going there because of things like job growth, population growth, uh, vacancy rates, you know, rental trends, all those good things. So yeah, you're kind of following where the money is going. So I really mm-hmm. like what you guys are doing there. Yeah, it's fun. And I think the other thing we really try and do is find the markets that a lot of people are not necessarily considering. Because maybe those, like Jeff was saying, like those numbers aren't quite as, they don't look quite as good. Like, oh, the population growth isn't quite as big as in some of these other cities where there's a ton of investors. Like right now, there is a huge focus in central mass on a city called Worcester. Investors are like pouring into this city. And it's really interesting because a lot of it is just the assumptions of what's going to happen. It's speculation. Yeah. yeah. In Worcester. And so we saw that. I'm actually from Worcester. So we saw that and we were like, hmm, well, you know what? Manchester is really similar to Worcester. So but better jobs, but it has better, better jobs. economy, and no <laughs> one's paying attention to it. So, so we should go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting to see you guys following the numbers. And and I know you guys are going to do really cool things there and uh, continue to grow your real estate business. You guys are always already making a lot of offers, having a lot of luck up there, I know. But uh, let's kind of switch gears and talk about, you know, advice to maybe someone who was in your position several years ago, who's maybe facing that decision of, hey, do I want to go out and take the more traditional path, buy a single family house and some nice cars and, you know, live kind of to my means or do I want to make maybe this sacrifice and dip my toes in this real estate world and do the, you know, live in flip kind of thing. What kind of advice would you have to someone like that? Has it been worth it for you guys? Would you recommend the path you've taken? Kind of yeah. talk about that. So from my perspective, I would say hundred percent do it now <laughs> <laughs> and give it a try because at the end of the day, you're going to have assets that are appreciating that no one can you know take away from you unless you're not paying for them, of course. But you're going to have all these assets that are paying for your liabilities, so you can still have that really really nice car, but just have an asset to pay for it. Have you know a single family in Memphis that's going to pay for your really nice car. So it's all a balancing act, and I think the sooner you start, the sooner you can grow your portfolio to a place where you can really have that lifestyle that you want when your friends and family are a couple steps behind because they have been living to their means for the past, you know, however many years. So my big thing that I always say is the longer you wait, the longer you wait. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's really not much to add to that. I mean, because it's really just like you can live to your means and be stressed out about making payments and like, oh no, I got laid off. I need to find a job in the next two weeks or I'm not going to make my mortgage. Like, holy crap, that's a terrible place to be. Yeah. Or you can live slightly below your means and just save some money and invest in things that are going to make you money and then buy the nice car with that or you know help have that pay off your mortgage and then if you lose your job it's not really that big of a deal and you can you know maybe you don't even have to work anymore at some point like that's a nice feeling yeah yeah that's absolutely i completely agree maybe somebody's sitting out there thinking like i don't know jeff and taylor i don't know they've get, they've just got it right taylor's an entrepreneur jeff's you know 
a mad scientist. They're just kind of doing <laughs> their things in the background. They've got some kind of intrinsic thing that I don't. You know, they're you know have the golden Midas touch or whatever. What would you say to that? Oh man, that's so the opposite yeah. of when we bought our our first duplex. We had no idea had what no we idea. were doing. No, I mean we probably overpaid by like forty grand on this place, <laughs> and you know, like I, we were saying, like there's so much wrong with it, but we yeah. just bought it anyway because we had no idea. Like totally. going back, we probably would have bought a different place, but we learned so much from doing it, and that's yeah. what taught us how to do this stuff. You know, like. Maybe our first single family was luck that we bought the right thing. Yes. But we still learned from, you know, like, well, that worked. So let's maybe repeat something like that. Yeah. I think for us, we're just like, if you're interested in something or you're you're just interested in keeping in learning more, that's all it is. You don't have to be, you know, super brilliant or have some amazing talent to have success at this. To even be moderately successful, you just have to try. I think yeah. that's that's really all it is. It's you don't have to be a numbers person. No, like, there's people who aren't. Taylor's. Not I'm not a numbers specifically. person. Specifically, yeah. I mean, no. like, there's so many different ways to get into this. Yeah, yeah. I love those messages. Completely agree with all of it. Great stuff. Well, what does the future hold for you guys? What's next? What are you guys going to be doing in this next, say, six to twelve months? That's a really interesting question, right? Because, you know, coronavirus, yeah. man, there's a lot going on right now. Yeah, I mean, there certainly is. The jobs report came out a few days ago, and I think it was 6.6 million filed for unemployment, yeah. which was double the previous record, which was like 10 times or something the previous record. Yeah, yeah. something crazy like that. Yeah, so it is a crazy time. And so we've still been putting offers out on like multifamilies up in New Hampshire. Like we know that stuff, you know, those assets, multifamily people, maybe they're not going to pay rent right now because of weird government mandates or, you know, there's going to be weird things happening for the next few months for sure. But people are still going to need to live places and they're eventually going to start paying rent again because, you know, jobs are going to come back. People need to live there. You're going to make money off of multifamily assets. Absolutely. And it's all cyclical. Everything comes back. So I think the other thing that we're going to be doing, especially in the next six to 12 months, is really keeping an eye on what the economy is doing. I was just saying to Jeff the other day, five years from now, I want to look back on right now and say, oh my gosh, I am so glad we did X, Y, and Z thing. Just like people say about you know 2010, they're like, oh my gosh, if I had only done X, Y, and Z thing in 2010, I'd be a millionaire. Can you imagine if I bought <laughs> X back then? Yeah. Yeah. So we want to do the same thing. Like we want to look at the triggers that are happening right now. How are they similar to what's happened in previous recessions? And then what does that mean for particular you know, asset classes or just for other opportunities? So we want to be open to the opportunities that are presented to us during this time because we see this as a really interesting time that could actually be very beneficial when it comes to gaining assets. Yeah. You guys are going to crush it. Fingers crossed. (laughs) That's awesome. It's good to kind of see you guys' journey. It's very relatable to many people out there, right? You know, young professionals working, you know, both in your respective careers and then taking the time out of your life and your busy schedules to kind of make these sacrifices, educate yourself, and most importantly, take action, right? Get out there and just make offers, buy properties, study markets, do deals. And like, you know, just in a few short years, you guys have grown into a handful of properties and are scaling up from here. So it's awesome. I think it's really inspiring to see your guys' story and, you know, very relatable for many people out there. Thanks. Thanks. It's been a really fun journey so far. Awesome. Well, it's not over yet, but this podcast 
almost is. So <laughs> let's go ahead and wrap up with the lightning round. Just a series of All questions right. we ask every one of our guests. You guys can both take a shot at the answers. You up for it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? So I think that the biggest hurdle is just like that first property. That first property is really hard because you're not sure if you're doing the right thing. It's scary as heck. <laughs> yes, you're you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, this is all of my money. What am I doing? So that was probably the biggest hurdle to get started is just your mindset are really about getting to that next point. And then overcoming it was just making sure that, like we said, like we did our research, our numbers were right. So we were like, all right, we do it. And the other thing is, if you fail, at least you have an asset at the end. Yeah, you haven't really <laughs> failed until you stop trying. Exactly. So just yeah. keep going forward. I love that. Well, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? This is probably in each of you question. You've got different habits. Yeah. So for me, I'm big on like the miracle morning stuff. I love, yeah. you know, like I wake up early anyway. I'm that weirdo that just wakes up at 530 in the morning so on the weekends just because. <laughs> but yeah. like I love getting up and I do workout. I have my routine. Like I do like the journaling stuff. That just like for me sets off my day right and I can just keep going forward with everything. Yeah, I think for me, my big thing is I'm excessively organized. So (laughs) I'm a list person. So I have to have my to-do list. I'm really intense about my time blocking. So I think that really helps to propel me forward and helps me to move forward towards my goals. Live your life off a Google calendar. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Can't leave without it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day? You know, related to real estate, you can't overlook bigger pockets. Like it's just such an awesome community and so many resources. Like if you want any any question you have about real estate, totally. someone has asked it and someone has answered it. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I would totally agree. I, I think that's the biggest one. Yeah. All right. What book would you recommend to the listeners and why? So for me, I would recommend The Seven Levels of Communication by Michael Mayer. Is that how you pronounce his last yeah. name? I think it's very, it goes across businesses. It could be applicable to anything, but it really focuses on the importance of networking, which Jeff and I are really passionate about and building your network. Yeah. And I love Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. You know, it's a book about negotiation, but only sort of. It's really a book about how to just engage with people in a more meaningful way, which I think is just so profound. Like really negotiating is just connecting with people. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I've read Never Split the Difference by Chris Boss. I've never heard of Seven Levels of Communication, but either way, we'll link both of those books in the show notes if our audience members want to check those out. Last question in the lightning round, Jeff and Taylor. If you're to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself, start right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I started off as a software engineer, like making much less than I do now, but you know, software engineers make decent money right out of school. Man, I was buying like TVs and couches. Yep. And I'm like, oh, and I was nice making stuff. him buy those things. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. But man, yeah. if I just saved that money and then bought the house hack back then, that was like 2013. Oh my gosh. Yeah. An amazing time to buy. Because that's the thing. The longer you don't do it, the longer you don't have it. So, exactly. I mean, just do it now. Don't worry about how you're going to do it. You'll figure it out. Just do it. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. I was being a dummy in 2013. If I was doing better things, I'd be so much far further ahead. But uh, Same. Before we wrap up, Taylor, you brought up one good point in your book recommendation I wanted to touch on. 
kind of coming full circle here, you talked about the importance of networking. That's actually how we met. We met at a conference back in, was it January, February of? Yeah, yeah like I that. think so. February, Here maybe. Yeah. Houston, Texas, right? So obviously hit it off and that's how we've made this connection. So yeah. just talk about the importance of networking in your guys' professional career so far. Yeah, absolutely. Really, it's everything. So we are really passionate about meeting people who are like-minded and then connecting people who are like-minded and trying to help other people get to that. So we are really interconnected in the local investor community here in Boston. We're getting more into the investor community in New Hampshire as well. And one of my good friends, Beth Mulholland, who her and her husband are also real estate investors, her and I started a group for women who are interested in investing in themselves. So it's a community to focus on whatever you're interested in. So however you want to invest in yourself, that's what we want to talk about. Small business, real estate, etc. So we really love the idea of building a community in every aspect of our lives. And so we've made some really amazing connections and friendships through this process. And it is about who you know. People say that all the time. But it's more about, are you providing value for other people? So, you know, someone is really interested in X, Y, and Z thing. Well, I happen to know somebody who's really good at that. Let me connect them. And the things that come out of that, the opportunities that present themselves out of that are just, you can't even compare it to anything else. Yeah. And beyond that, just intrinsically, it feels good. Yeah. I mean, like, wow, I got them connected and now he's like making money. He has a business because of that. That's really cool. Yeah. That's great. Tell us more about where people can find that organization, Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. So we have an Instagram. It's at Women's Investment Network. There's a couple out there, but that one is just at Women's Investment Network. And then there's also a private Facebook group where you can feel free to share how you're doing and you know, struggles, challenges, successes. And that is Women's Investment Network. And you can always shoot me an email if you can't figure out how to find that at taylor.adams.c at gmail.com. Yes, great. We'll definitely link those social profiles in the show notes if anybody wants to go check those out. You guys are starting to build your network, grow your connections through your social media platforms and things like that. So tell us where people can find more about you. I know you guys are starting to grow your network and invest your database. So if people want to reach out, learn more, you know, maybe ask you questions about the market, where's the best place for them to find you at? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I'm on Instagram at Taylor Coleman Adams, or like I said, my email, taylor.adams.c at gmail.com. Yeah. And my Instagram is not great. So you can just email me. At, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, jeff.adams.c at gmail.com. Fantastic. We'll link all that in the show notes, guys. Hey, it's been so much fun having you guys on the podcast. I'm excited about your guys' future. I know you guys have bright things ahead of you. So look forward to having you back on in the future. And then, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Thanks great. so much for Thanks, having Jacob. us. This was so much fun. Thank you guys. Take care. That wraps up this week's episode with our guests, Jeff and Taylor Adams. Hey, I hope you got so much value from that conversation. If you like what you heard or want to learn more about any of the resources we mentioned in today's conversation, you can find those in the show notes. As always, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobayers.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. 
been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.